Amen. Please turn your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel 16. Um, we, this morning we want to, again, step away from Second Peter and reflect on a Reformation theme. And since we haven't been talking in particular about 1 Samuel, I want to give you some background that might be helpful that is happening here. So in 1 Samuel 16, the kingdom and the Spirit of God have just been taken away from King Saul who disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord says, you will no longer be my king. And God then tells Samuel, as he's mourning the loss of King Saul, to get up and go and prepare to anoint a new king. Now, what is remarkable is the contrast we see between these two kings, King David and King Saul. Saul was big and strong. David was quite little. Saul was the people's king. David is said to be God's king. Saul was anointed, and it was proclaimed aloud, his anointing, this is the king. David is anointed, and it's not proclaimed at all. In fact, it's done quite secretly. David is a little king, and he's from a nowhere place called Bethlehem. But in God's sight, there are no small people, and there's no small places. Now, what... Much of what I'm going to say is influenced by a man named Francis Schaeffer who wrote a sermon years ago called No Little People. And I think he builds that on Martin Luther's idea of the priesthood of all believers. And so we want to reflect on those things. What does it mean to be a priest in the kingdom of God, set apart and called to minister in the name of Jesus Christ? So let's just read 1 Samuel 16 this morning. And I'll start at verse 1. And just read down to verse 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king amongst his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. 
And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by and said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There are, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for he will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord says, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the oil, the horn of oil, and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just we praise you that you are a God that chooses the things that the world bypasses. Lord, you choose little people from small places to display your glory and your power as you call them out. Father, and that is so hopeful for us, those who, as we look at ourselves, we see a lack of gifts or we see, uh, I'm not an eloquent speaker, I stumble over my words, or I don't know the Bible like I should, or I struggle with this area or that area. And God, you use simple people, Lord, who by faith are willing to follow you and do your will. Lord, encourage us this morning, Father. Encourage us through your word this morning. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in profound ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My friends, I want to ask you, do you see yourself as a little Christian? Do do you see yourself as a little Christian? And I don't just mean you're five feet tall. And you say, Rusty, what, what does that mean? Well, you say, it is great being a Christian, but I'm such a small person. I'm limited in my talents. I'm lacking in biblical knowledge. I, I just don't know the word that well. And I struggle with something in my heart. So that what I do is really not that important or what I could do for the Lord. And I want to encourage you that with Jesus, there are no little people in his kingdom and no little places. Let's just remember how God works and how he tells us he works. In the book of Exodus, God asked the simple shepherd Moses to go to Egypt and challenge the most powerful king and nation and empire of the day. Exodus 3.11 Moses says this, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Egypt out of Egypt? Then he writes several other objections to God's plan, if you remember the story. They will not believe me or listen to my voice. Who am I? They will say, The Lord has not appeared to you. God said in Exodus 4, Moses, what's that in your hand? It was the simplest of possible things. It was a stick, it was a staff, a rod. And God told him to throw it on the ground, and when he did, it turned into a serpent, and God told him to pick it up, and it turned into a simple rod again. 
And God said, take this rod and go and comfort and confront, comfort the people and confront the most powerful man in the world. Exodus 4.20 tells us the incredible secret here. Listen, the rod of Moses had become the rod of God. And in the days that followed, Moses and Aaron stretched forth this simple rod and essentially freed God's people and brought the most powerful nation in the world to its knees. All through a little dead stick of wood that had become the rod of God in Moses' hands. Now there was nothing special in the rod itself, was there? The rod of Moses had simply become the rod of God. Now, the Bible shows us again and again that much can come from little. If the little is wholly given into the Lord's hands to do His will and surrendered to it. So we can say before God there are no little people or big people, no little places or big places, only people given over to Him and His will in His hands that want to be used for His glory. This is what we see in 1 Samuel 16, isn't it? Samuel comes to Bethlehem, a nowhere town, to anoint the next king. He goes to Jesse's house. Jesse brings out his sons, and instead of anointing one of the seven older brothers, God chose the brother still in the fields, the youngest, the least likely, David, to be king. And the reason he gives is this, because God looks at the heart. Now, we must remember that in God's sight, there are no little people and there are no little places. And what God cares about is those things that are surrendered to his will. The church before the Reformation very much lost sight of this in many ways, often drawing a line between those with the extraordinary call and extraordinary faith to be fully dedicated to Christ set apart as priests, as nuns, as the Pope, as those in some monastic order, while everybody else was just common folk on their, this side, doing the common work in the world. And what developed was big and little people in the church, those called to extraordinary things and those called to just the ordinary life. And then came the Reformation. <laughs> and Martin Luther says it like this, All we who believe on Christ are kings and priests in Christ. There are no two classes of people in the church. All are saints and priests set apart to serve Christ, given His Spirit, yet given very different callings and roles in the life of the church. And in all those callings, we can glorify God equally whether you're a dishwasher or whether you're a pastor. Now, John Calvin then takes it even a step further, and he says this, All believers should seek to bring brothers into the church and should strive to lead the wanderers back to the road, should stretch forth a hand to the fallen, should win over the outsiders. Ministry, then, is not for the select few on this side, set apart, the extraordinary but the whole church is called to be Christ's ministers to the lost world and equipped with his Holy Spirit. So here's the main idea if you're taking notes. It's quite simple. There are no little people or places with God and his kingdom. There are no little people. 
or places with God in his kingdom. Now let's dive into that, and there's just, we'll just dissect that in two ways. First is no little places, and second is no little people. So here's point one, no little places. If you'll look in your Bible with me at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jethse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king amongst his sons. You know, it would have felt very much like a dark day when your king was rejected by God. Where would God find the next king? Where's a giant man who can fight our battles, who can defend us against the Philistines and those people who want to destroy us and take us as slaves? How are we going to survive? And so what does Samuel do? He mourns. And the Hebrew here means he continues to mourn. He has a long season of sadness and mourning and sorrow. And God calls him and says, fill your horn with oil. In other words, with gladness. Get ready. It means get prepared. God is still alive. I'm on my throne. And I have another to go and to anoint. Notice he says there, I have provided for myself a king. Nine times in this chapter, God uses this word, I have provided. It's the theme of the chapter. It is showing the difference between Saul, who was man's choice, 1 Samuel 8, 22, make them a king, and David now, who God has provided for his people. Now notice where he comes from, verse 4. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Some six miles out of Jerusalem was a small town of Bethlehem. And here God sent Samuel to find the next king. And when he comes, the elders come out to meet him, thinking he might be coming because of some great sin amongst them. But at that time, the ark was not prevalent, and so Samuel would travel from village to village and town to town and make sacrifices for the people's sins. And so he tells the elder that, I'm here for a sacrifice, which was true, but in fear of Saul and his wrath, he didn't tell the whole truth, did he? I'm here to choose another king. Now look at verses 9 to 11 with me. I'll just read that once more. Then Jesse made Shema pass by and said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for he, we will not sit down till he comes here. Now, before people would have such a feast as this, they would consecrate themselves. It means they would cleanse themselves, probably with water before such a feast. And Samuel tells them, consecrate, cleanse yourself. But notice what he does. He consecrates Jesse and his family. This is where it gets interesting. Probably in Jesse's house before this feast, Samuel would anoint one of Jesse's sons. So all the boys are called. They're lined up there in front of him. And their reason for anointing was not made known. He doesn't say, this is why I'm doing this, does it? The text doesn't tell us. So 
Jesse's probably left thinking, one of my sons is going to be a prophet. He's anointing him for that. And when all the logical choices have been refused, Samuel asked, is there anyone else? Jesse said, yeah, but he's with the sheep. Now we need to stop here. Imagine being David, the youngest of eight boys. It's a great occasion. The prophet Samuel is there. He's visiting, but you're not invited. Your place is not at the feast. It's not at the party. Your place is on the hillside with the sheep. You are the lowly shepherd boy, the least, the little, the forgotten. How would you feel? Now, you'd say, I'm an important, unimportant person. I'm doing an unimportant job. Now, my friends, I think sometimes we see our work, our ministry, the places that we live, the things that we do like that. Often, we don't want to be the lowly shepherd boy. We don't want to do little jobs, but we want to do something big, don't we? We don't want a little place, but a big place. So we end up often hating the ordinary works of God that he gives us because we long for the extraordinary. We long to just to be used in extraordinary ways or live the extraordinary life that we see. And so the ordinary things that God gives us day by day, we begin to disdain and say, I really want to do something big for God. Do you ever feel like that? Imagine a young woman who's just graduated and she's begun work in a large law firm and she starts in the lowliest of places. She gets all the grunt work. She gets all the cases and the, the research that no one else wants to do. She's the lowliest of people. She has to get there early. She has to work late. Everybody comes and says, hey, do this. Hey, do this. Hey, do this. Finally, she's there late one night, and no one else is there. Everyone's cleared out of the office. And she goes in, and she sits in her boss's big arm chair. He's the head of the board of the firm, and she says, she puts her feet up on the desk, and she says, someday I'll say run, and they'll run. I'll say fetch me that report, and they'll fetch it. I'll say get me a coffee, and they'll say how many creams do you want? You know, I think often we can take the same mentality in our faith, can't we? We're not satisfied with the ordinary job in the kingdom or the ordinary small town ministry or for a pastor, the ordinary small church. But we want the big, extraordinary, important job in ministry, the important role. And Jesus says in Mark 10, this, whoever wants be great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever would be first amongst you must be servant of all. We emphasize big works, big places, so that we feel often like the shepherd sitting on the outside on a hill while all the important stuff is going on somewhere else. When all the important people are at the party, But my friends, God is more concerned about how you are serving Him wherever you are and whatever you are doing. So, there are no big places and little places in serving God. 
God often comes to little places like a shepherd on a hillside. If God has you putting up chairs, teaching Sunday school, putting on dirty di- or taking off dirty diapers and putting on clean ones in the nursery, serving Wednesday night meals, teaching girls groups, then determine to be a simple stick of wood in God's hand, doing the ordinary to his glory. And watch how God blesses that work. So there are no little jobs or little places in God's kingdom. Let's move then to little people. Point two, no little people. Verse six. Verse six in your Bibles. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Stop. The obvious choice, right? He's the all-American. Or the all-Palestinian, you might say. You can almost see Samuel's finger on the oil, right? It's like he's ready. Bring him here. I'm, I'm ready to anoint him. When he sees the Eliab, he thinks this is the next Saul. Look at him. He's a stud. He's big. He's strong. If it's today, he'd be playing quarterback at Stanford. But he was not God's choice, nor any of the other seven. Why? Verse 7. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. I love these words. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God is not impressed with what impresses man. Verse 12, look at God's choice with me. And he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now, David arrived. He's ruddy and beautiful. Ruddy means he had reddish hair, which, of course, is a mark of beauty, as you know and I know. (laughs) And when God sees his hair, I think it's his hair. God says, anoint him. That's him. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. Now, what does this anointing signify? Well, at that time, oil was used in diplomatic contracts, in business contracts, in marriages, And what it simply meant is the person performing the anointing, putting the oil on, pledged himself to the one who was receiving it, the anointed. You see, God is pledging himself and his presence to David. He's pledging himself. And that's why what we see next is this. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Do you see that? God doesn't just choose David. He equips him for the work. For the first time, we see the Spirit not just coming and going, but now the Spirit remaining. It was the Spirit that enabled David to withstand all the difficulties of what was coming from this chapter all the way on. He's haunted by Saul, if you know the story. He's betrayed. He's trapped. He's hiding in caves. He has to face a giant. He's living in exile. He's driven to the hedge. But it's the Spirit that enables him to be the rod in God's hand. God loves to grow the largest tree in the garden from the smallest seed. Now, I know I plagiarized that from somebody, but I have no idea who. God loves to, if you're taking notes, just write somebody. God loves to grow the largest tree in the garden from the smallest seed. 
And he does that through his spirit, doesn't he? Now, you might be thinking, okay, Rusty, I love Jesus, but I'm such a small, unimportant person. I have, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I have very limited talents. I have a real limited knowledge. I'm just not that smart. I'm not that strong. I wasn't the all-star quarterback. Heck, I wasn't even on the team. So that I'm not really that important in God's kingdom. Friends with God, there are no little people. Because it is the Spirit that enables and strengthens us to be a simple rod that does amazing things for God. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says it like this. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, why does God work like that? Let's come back to the rod. Let's come back to the rod. The last place that we see the rod being used is in Numbers 20, verse 8 and 9, when the people are grumbling because there's no water in Meribah. And God tells Moses, get the rod, strike the rock. And of course, you know the story. He took the rod and he struck the rock, and water poured forth from the ground, didn't it? Now, you know what God's people did? They fell down and they said, what an amazing rod! (laughs) Praise the rod! (laughs) No, they didn't, did they? What's the response? It's not about the rod. It's about giving glory to God. When we look at ourselves, we often say, I am so limited. I am weak in talent and brains, and physical ability. I'm such a young Christian. But much glory for God can come from little people and little things when we are wholly surrendered to the will of the Lord in our life, to love, obey, trust Him with all aspects and all areas in our life. So there are no little places, and there are no little people in the kingdom of God. How do we think and live this? Let's close with this. How do we think and live this? I think the biggest thing that makes us and me feel little and unusable is our sin, right? Often we read about Christian heroes and we think, I'm nothing like that. I'm not Martin Luther. I'm not John Calvin. I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not Corey Tin Boom. The Christian is called not to sin, and that is always our goal. But when we do sin, God is not done with you. Sin doesn't make us a little person in the kingdom that God can't use. In fact, the Bible is full of God using imperfect people. That is one of the great things about the Scripture. It portrays godly men and women honestly, giving us hope, showing their failings and their need of grace. Think about this with me. Noah, great man of faith, stand alone against a horde of a crowd, but we see him naked and drunk in his tent 
We don't excuse it. We say he's a sinner, and God still used him. Abraham, the father of the faith, but at least twice he lied saying Sarah was his sister because he was afraid of death. Aaron the priest made an idol from gold. Miriam didn't like Moses' wife because of her skin color. David was a man after God's own heart, yet he had an adulterous relationship and had a woman's husband killed. Peter, when he came to Antioch, he refused to eat with Gentile Christians, and Paul had to rebuke him. Here's what I want you to see. Two things. We'll close with this. First, there are no big people before God. Even the best of men and women are sinful and broken, and they need Christ and the Spirit. What makes them a great rod for God is not their perfect life, but their real repentance and returning and restoration when they do fail. It's coming back and surrendering to God's will. In Martin Luther's famous 95 Theses, that he nailed to the door of Wittenberg, the first thesis statement was this. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And Luther is saying repentance is not the religious professional's responsibility as mediators for the little people like us so that God remains happy with them and continues to bless them. But repentance is the everyday work of the Christian so they can grow in their relationship with Christ and be brought back. So here's what I'm saying. The mark of a little person who is used by God mightily is not his amazing talents or her amazing ability. It's that when they do sin and when they do fail... They return back to the Lord and receive his grace. And as they draw close, he continues to change them and use them. And that gives you and I hope in the midst of our darkest times. Second, and we'll finish with this, we must consecrate ourselves to serve God. Though we are limited and weak in talent, though sometimes we struggle with our own polluted heart, We can be used by God. Before that happens, something else needs to happen. We must go from being the rod of Moses to the rod of God. God can bring much from one little life if that life is wholly committed to the will of God, surrendered into his hands. Jesus says it like this in Mark 8. And if anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Let's close with this. There are no little people with God, but I want to ask you, are you the rod of Moses or the rod of God? Say it like this. Are you the rod of Becky, of John, of Rob, of Chris, of Susan, or the rod of God? What am I saying? Have you said, Lord, here am I, use me, Here am I, I'm an instrument in your hands. Not my will, but yours be done in all aspects of my life. Christ uses simple, weak, ordinary, imperfect people to build his kingdom. 
This was that vital gospel truth that the reformers brought back to the church. You don't have to live in a monastery to be a priest or go on religious pilgrimages for Jesus to use you and love you. God calls and uses ordinary people who live out their faith and calling through the power of his spirit and strength, who live their life surrendered to him, the rod in his hand. And the result is always he gets the glory that he can do such great things through such a small person. And we get the joy when we draw close to him and are used by him. Father, I just praise you right now, and I thank you. Um, I know that many of us are here going, I'm just little. I don't really have much to say or much to offer. Why would God use me? Or how can I be used? Or I just wash dishes in the nursery. Lord, but I just praise you that that's what you do, Lord. You come to ordinary people in your church and you fill us full of your Holy Spirit so that we might be used to glorify you, whether we're preaching or whether we're washing dishes. And we might know the joy of it, Lord. And I thank you, Father that you draw us close and you use us and you transform us, oh God, for your glory. So Lord, just give you praise and honor right now. And we want to ask that you would use us, Lord, each man, woman in this room, that our life would be wholly surrendered to be the rod of God in your hands and saying, here am I, Lord, use me. Here are my little talents. Use them in the nursery or to speak or whatever, however, use them, Lord. And we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.